Welcome back to Walking Away from Arcadia. We're going to be talking about LARP again for this episode. It's been a little while. At the Midwinter Gaming Convention, the very first playtest of the new Changeling LARP rules happened. Uh, I was able to attend. Unfortunately, Simon was not because the travel gods are capricious and cruel. Uh, I will give him the opportunity to share any of that if he wants to, but he might be like, Nah, driving in winter sucks, and leave it at that. In addition to Simon and I, we have Lisa Wiedemann and Sam Dietzman with us. They were also at the Changeling LARP, and they have LARP background and World of Darkness background in general. I'll give them an opportunity to talk a little bit more about themselves. Tell us about yourselves and your background with World of Darkness, LARP, Changeling. I'm Sam World of Darkness I've been going with since about 2004 with Vampire. Walked into the Student Center in Southern Illinois, California. They were playing Magic, and I stuck around for the uh, cam game. Been hooked ever since. Changeling, oddly enough, has always been one of the two World of Darkness genres that's always escaped me, because no one ever wanted to play it. Changeling, The Dreaming, and of course Demon the Fallen. So I am so excited that... Uh, they're releasing a By Night Studio version of this that'll hopefully generate a bunch of interest in it and finally get to play, but I'll probably end up running. <laughs> Hi, I'm Lisa. I have been playing Old World Darkness since, I believe, 1999-2000. My strength lies usually in werewolf and vampire. Unfortunately, we didn't really get past the core three that much with being mage, vampire, and werewolf, because our group was very small. We did get a p- chance to play Tabletop Changeling for at least a good year or so. However, the new world being BNS, I just started playing werewolf with their beta slice. Okay. So I guess I want to start out by talking a little bit about the playtest that they ran of the Alpha Slice at Midwinter. I played an Unseelie Red Cap, and I did not realize, walking in playing an Unseelie Red Cap, that I was picking uh, the most popular choice by a mile. I swear at least 40% of the people there were Red Caps. If I had to go back and do it again, I would have played something else. It was funny <laughs> having so many of the same kith there to back me up, but there was a definite bias in the player group. There was also a really heavy bias for Unseelie. I was Unseelie. I wasn't going to go too terribly off-type for a one-shot playtest, just sort of stretching the rules. Being, God, I want to say like two-thirds of the people there at least were Unseelie. And the rest, the last third was mostly Seelie with a handful of Shadow Court members. What was the Seelie side of the house like? For a big hunk of the scenario we were kind of partitioned off, so I don't know as much about what happened on the other side of the ballroom. So I had a, I had a bit of a different choice in playing a character. I played a child Boggin, Seelie, and I was always deferential to everyone in the Seelie court, um, and being a Boggin, anytime someone said I needed something, I would tear off across the ballroom to find what they needed. Uh, so I didn't interact too much with the politics, because I was trying to roleplay knowing my... I think they called a foundling in BNS. It was very stilted, at least from my seeing of it. 
everyone would kind of be very quiet once the she started talking, any of them, which was pretty on point, at least in terms of what I've read of uh, Changeling out of the second edition book, which is all I've had up to this point. And it was kind of amazing that in our own Motley, which was an Elder or Grump legendary and a Grump Boggan, that that player would be dead silent whenever our she Motley member would start talking. So it was very she-heavy letting them kind of call the shots and us trying to do our best to fulfill whatever they needed. I think there were three Boggins in the Sealy Court and two Red Caps. See, and that's that's interesting because the Unsealy side of the house was totally the opposite. There were a couple she kicking it around, and they were either playing very against type. There was one guy playing an Unsealy she that was part of the pirate crew. I'm pretty sure the pirate crew is going to end up in canon. That was a whole experience. And he was playing very anti-type. He didn't lead his motley. He didn't want to lead his motley. And the other she that showed up on the unseelie side of the house, whenever they said anything or did anything, everyone turned on them. The person who ended up sort of running things on the unseelie side, although they were a bit of a puppet and they knew it, and they were fine with role-playing that, was a troll. It was... Things were very chaotic on the unseelie side of the ballroom. <laughs> If, if only one of us had played Shadow Court to kind of know what they were doing, uh, that would have been very interesting. I actually know a little bit about what was going on with the Shadow Court because my partner played Shadow Court. And uh, the poor Shadow Court. So to give everyone a little bit of a, a framing for this, and we talked about this some in the last LARP episode. The new BNS slice and the book is going to give the Shadow Court kind of an even playing field in terms of the political factions. And that's just to give people more options and to create more dynamic politics for LARP Chronicles. And it makes sense for lots of reasons. And all the people who came had, you know, read the Alpha Slice. And that's what they thought was going to happen. That's what they thought the setting was based on. But the actual LARP was set before the Alpha Slice. It was set at kind of like the first couple of days after High King David dies in the Dreaming. And so the Shadow Court hasn't taken the opportunity to make their ploy for power. And that was confusing for a lot of people. So I think the estimates I saw put the LARP at between 80 and 100 people after the fact. There were six Shadow Court players. Life was hard for the Shadow Court. <laughs> and they kind of spent most of their time coping with the fact that there were only six of them. They were trying really hard to get basically a puppet king installed the entire premise was about choosing a new monarch for the region around milwaukee because the monarch and his whole court had been with hiking david when he was ambushed and they all died as well and they sort of set up the three court competition but the shadow court was wild card it was not really because the shadow court wasn't out of hiding yet it was a little awkward. I had a lot of fun at the game, but the actual scenario flowed a little strangely. The actual scenario, to me, felt like a vampire game rather than a changeling game. I would agree. I think the players were definitely playing changeling. I, there was no question about that. But I agree with you about the scenario. It felt a little bit like a vampire situation. 
So a little bit of insight into that. This game was played on Friday night, and there is kind of one networked LARP that sort of reigns supreme right now in at least the Midwest and I'd venture the United States or at least the Eastern United States. And they ran their big Camarilla game at night the night previously on Thursday. And then on Friday night was the follow-up night where a bunch of Justicars died and a whole bunch of drama happened. So it kind of felt like people were still in that vampire sort of headspace for their characters and those NPCs. And this organization certainly did help put this event on for By Night Studio, sort of ran in tandem with them. I think that definitely bled majorly into the overall play style of everyone. At least that's the way it felt sort of on the Sealy side. Sort of like a, a almost Torridor salon. Absolutely. Yeah, that was that was definitely not so much the feeling on the unseely side that I got. I also spent a good slice of the evening wrapped up in a side plot. They had an Autumn Fay show up, and I'm using Autumn Fay broadly because. It's not the most precise term, but I don't know exactly what was going on with this NPC. Was Um, that the girl who was absent of glamour and was taking a bunch of pills? Oh, yeah. I got wrapped up in that (laughs) sort of side plot, and it was their Dante and Autumn Faye, can you save her, what are you willing to sacrifice storyline. She was being treated by Stark at the Milwaukee Center for Mental Health. I know I mentioned that to Simon because Simon is particularly fond of the whole Stark canon thing. And so I think being wrapped up in that story, I got a little bit less of that vampire to the face feel. That plotline was very changeling. I felt that story ended up so weird because it was established that she was Slua and was basically in banality coma. And couldn't be brought out of it, couldn't be enchanted. She had this really strong resistance. And there was a Slua, and I was there, I was a red cap, and I want to say there was another red cap, and we were trying to convince her to ignore her parents and not go back to Stark and inspire her, but we're a bunch of nightmare changelings. And we're like, you're a nightmare changeling? Don't you want to be afraid? Fear is great. And she was like, no, 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 that's, that's awful the entire time. And it was just like, I want someone to illustrate the creepy ass Slua and Redcap trying to inspire the poor banality ridden human that has a Slua inside that she's like refusing to acknowledge because nothing about that was going well, but it was also kind of hilarious. <laughs> I think the high point of our night was we were part of the side quest with the stained glass dragon plot. Uh, this, mm-hmm. this plot felt very, very changeling. High King Arthur kind of silly changeling, but... We were sent to retrieve a piece of King David's crown. Sword. It was then formed into a crown. Yes, it was part of Caliburn, because I was there at the climax of that, which was a little more public. But was fantastic was going there with... Lisa's she, who was a combat she, another she, two Boggins, and a Sealy Redcap. And we basically had to 
make a deal with the dragon to get this sword piece of the sword back. So the other she who came with us, the bargain was she would stay and tell that dragon a story every single night for the rest of the dragon's life in exchange for the crown. Yeah, and when that was presented to the whole group, there was this weird combination effect of, that's a great story! That's awesome! There are like 40 redcaps over here who've been waiting for that dragon to show up so they could fight it. Huh. It was... It ended very poorly for one of the unseely she in the room, because the redcaps were very hungry and he was very annoying. And uh, the game ended in a little bit of cannibalism. <laughs> well, our other our other bargain was cross-dressing as a female diner waitress. In and... Trixie Mattel face. Yes. She made me want to be Seely so badly, because I had no reason to interact with her. <laughs> that player is fantastic, and he was my character's elder, and any time my character felt threatened by the Unseely Redcaps, I would just shout Deborah at the top of my, like, best impression of a little child screaming. And that player, I'm going to refer to him as she, as the, as the character, she would rush over and just in this southern accent just toss all the other, like, Redcaps off because that player is a very tall man and then was in six-inch lifts. <laughs> so... Uh, he, she cut a very imposing figure, but she went around trying to get all of the redcaps, Seely, Unseely, Shadow Court, to go eat the dragon to save the she. Because oh. the bargain was until the end of the dragon's life. Yeah, and she, I was, I was running around trying to round up redcaps for her when they announced, do your final roleplay, there's 20 minutes left. And I was like, are you kidding me? I'm, I'm ready to go eat this dragon, what are you talking about? <laughs> um... Yeah, that was... I wish we'd had, like, 45 more minutes of roleplay to work with. It would have been so good. <laughs> I loved you as that little, like, foundling or fosterling Boggin running around, because Sam's character brought baked goods. Because, of course, you're a Boggin, you bring baked goods. And normally that would be a cool roleplay thing, except there were, like, 40 red caps. So he would go around with the baked goods, and of course every red cap in the room would freak out because there was nothing else to eat. And it was... you you milked that gimmick really well. That, that was a lot of fun, and one red cap finally got the entire box. Uh, it was the red cap with the very nightmare-looking mask, who started off with red contacts. Oh, yeah, he was the one Shadow Court red cap, I think, I with the really monstrous, almost werewolf-looking mask. Yes. Yeah. Um, he made yeah. that? I think he... Oh, he made that. Yeah, he's he's an artist. We know him a little bit, and he's very talented. It was a lot of fun, and it felt like once we kind of got our legs and were involved in the in the side plots, things really took off. We said, like, what was it interacting with the other she? Because I was just running around the room. Interacting with the other she is why I say it felt a little too much like Vampire. Nobody wanted to work together, and it felt very much like a if it's going to be a Sealy game, it's going to be a Sealy game. If it's going to be an Unsealy game, it's going to be an Unsealy game. When I tried to cross the border and work with the Unsealy court, they basically tried to shut us out, which is a shame. But you know, there there, there were side plots on both sides that kept 
the plot moving and kept the game going and kept the game fun. But I think that's a little bit of a part where a lot, not a lot of the players understood the depths of the politics between the Unseelie and, and the Unseelie court. Yeah, I, I have kind of mixed feelings on that because I feel part of it was the players. I also happen to know part of what happened on the Unseelie side was due to some system abuses by the one of the Unseelie she. I know the guy who played him. He's notorious among my friends for system abuses, so I'm not shocked by that. I think there's a particular level of sovereign that might get some adjustment after that game. I'm just saying. But... I, think... <laughs> I, I know the exact person and mechanic you're talking about. My character had that same sovereign power. But due to her lore, she couldn't justify tweaking it the exact ways that the Unseelie she did, so it was a little more inclusive to the players. Yeah, I also feel like the scenario they set up promoted the courts working against each other. You know, for our listeners, the scenario they set up is the balefire of this freehold, they broke into three pieces. They put it in three bottles. And the Seelie and Unseelie courts each chose a champion to possibly become the new monarch. And then there was a third wild card bottle. Wild card, code word, shadow court, but we're not going to acknowledge the shadow court, shadow court bottle. I think that's, I mean, that scenario put a competition and a goalpost in place that made the courts want to work against each other. Because the courts were sort of shuffled to opposite sides of the room, told to pick their champion, and we went through our own choosing process, and the person who was picked is the one most of the Unseelie wanted, although not for all the same reasons. And then it became a competition of, well, we need to get our person to win. And I think that scenario, and the whole mechanism that they used for that in terms of deciding who was going to win that competition. They had a whole narrative storytelling glamour investment thing, but they based it on the rock-paper-scissors rotating win-defeat dynamic that gets used for conflict resolution in the place of dice. I get symbolism. It was cute. It, it didn't work out because representation of the courts was so imbalanced. Exactly. It was it, it was a neat idea. It didn't play out in reality. And that's all scenario. None of that is intrinsic to the system. But I think that also promoted a lot of the weird messiness of the overlap between Celia and Unseelie and the canon not really getting a place to shine. I think a different session that might have gone differently. But I, I agree with you. Some of it was also player understanding. And it, it also didn't help that we were playing in the exact same room that the network LARPs vampire games were being held in and effectively people were shuffled off into the Camarilla and Anarch sides of the room which I think held some sway or, or ambiance or influence over over how it all went down yeah I, I think that makes sense I know you've been involved in running some other LARPs and you're both interested in possibly playtesting Changeling have you thought at all about how you might want to frame a Changeling LARP session to bring some of those dynamics to the fore that maybe weren't highlighted in, in the scenario at Midwinter? So I, I am going to run a 
playtest. And one of the things I am going to focus on is testing purely what is in, what is released rather than BNS in my humble opinion and ill read opinion tends to borrow very heavily from the 20 plus years of written text that all of these books have and sort of expect you to know that or be familiar with it to bring it into what they've written and then incorporate it into how they tweaked it a little bit and then move forward with it. I think a more valid way to do this is to purely test it. And as of right now, it does not feel like there is a, enough in the book to really set up a sealy, unsealy, shadow court kind of dynamic. You can certainly test the mechanics because they have their own merits, and each kith has their own write-up as to how they interact with it. But beyond it being kind of flavory at this point, because as of this point we don't even really have rules for freeholds, and what is a shadow court freehold feel like? In this version of the rules, what does a Sealy freehold feel like in, in contrast to that? So the things I'll be testing is I, I, hoping to move with the additions and say, oh, okay, now we have rules for freeholds. So now we're going to stay entirely inside the freehold and really crunch this mechanic of how the inner politics of these different courts interact. When um, Victor and I were working on the the history episode for the show we were trying to pull a little bit from c20 and we found that c20 had a similar problem where sometimes it did a really elegant job of invoking old stuff but most of the time you were just kind of left scratching your head trying to figure out what the context was i think a little bit of that has to do with it it is just the alpha slice they're still working on a lot of the flavor they're still thinking out a lot of things are borrowing a lot from what they already have established. For instance, because I don't really know the new Changeling at all, and, well, since it's the SC Alpha Slice, no, neither does anybody else, I, w- I could go through the powers and go, oh, this works like Majesty. Oh, well, this works like a Ratkin gift. And it was basically, rules-wise, the same. Yeah, one of the pieces of feedback that I sent into them is they wanted to set up affinity arts, kind of like, you know, certain werewolves start with certain gifts and vampires have their affinity disciplines. And they didn't want it to be totally wide open the way it was in tabletop because a lot of people come to a LARP not really knowing much about the game. A lot of people get introduced in a LARP and it's not an intimate setting like tabletop you don't have the storyteller there to kind of hold your hand the whole time they wanted a system that didn't have such a high barrier to entry and i had that conversation with a couple of the developers the first night of the con and i i understand that but one of the pieces of feedback i gave them is right now because each kith has three affinity arts and you automatically start with at least one level in each of those arts, and you pick one art to have two levels at, which is their system from Vampire. It feels very vampire-y. The She especially, their three affinity arts are Wayfair, which is like Celerity, Soothsay, which especially with the way they've tweaked it, is very much like Auspex, and Sovereign, which is very much like a merger between Dominate and Presence. And you end up with Fairy Toreador. 
And that is really not what the she are. I mean, certain houses of she can lean that way. Fiona definitely could run Toreador. Great, sure, whatever. Skaha? Our crazy berserking martial arts knights. They're closer to the Bruja. They're closer to Dark Ages Bruja than they are to Toreador. And you kind of run into this problem that especially with the she and the fact that each of the houses is kind of designed to emulate one of the commoner kith, that three arts to kith mapping doesn't capture what the kith are supposed to be. And I, I think they're going to need to thread that needle a little differently. Again, Alpha Slice. I am I'm in no way upset that that is in the Alpha Slice because they just need to get a sense for how these things are working. If that's lingering in its current form by, like, Delta Slice, I'll be a little concerned. What shocked me a little bit is in reading this, in reading the banality, the ennui, I understand the beast traits and seeds traits kind of mechanic that they were going for and, and bringing over. It's kind of their signature thing of determining how you degenerate and how you enter frenzy, and it's pretty cool. Uh, but banality goes to 10, ennui goes to 5, as of right now, the character sheet feels pretty packed, and there's no spot on it for Bedlam. Yeah, I'm not quite sure how they're going to handle Bedlam yet. Bedlam is a really weird dynamic, in that before Changeling 20th, you didn't have like a thing you tracked that eventually got to Bedlam. Bedlam was m- messier. It was about the levels of your traits and how they related to each other. And if you had too much of these traits and not enough of that trait, you were leaning towards banality coma. And if it was the other way around, you were leaning towards bedlam. And then if you spent too much time by a balefire, it would make it worse. And if you spent too much time in the dreaming, it would make it worse. But there wasn't really a thing you tracked. Now there is in C20, but it's just a modification of an existing trait. It's not its own stat. I'm not really sure how BNS is going to capture Bedlam in a LARP setting, especially because Bedlam is a slow, creeping thing that happens over time. And a lot of their beast traits and whatnot, at least what I remember of them, were more about your tendency to frenzy in the moment. They were about how worked up and angry and overcome by your beast have you become in that session. Because tracking long-term especially in league games, has some problematic dynamics. I, I do think that it is a system that they should incorporate eventually, though. I mean, werewolves have their worm taint, vampires have humanity, and the big trouble with Changeling is you have this slow, creeping doom that you just can't shake. And how would that affect your character? So the slow, creeping doom you can't shake is banality. That's that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's absolutely true with with banality. I think Bedlam's interesting because Bedlam's always kind of been the she affliction. It's kind of like, um, what was it, like the vapors, the afflictions of the aristocracy? Not that commoners were immune to Bedlam. It's just they didn't tend to have the kind of access to freeholds that promoted that sort of problem. And the she were always, they tended more towards it. And that's true in C20 as well, although they haven't explained the dynamic very well. But the way they've set up the system and everything still leads to the she having more of a bedlam problem. 
like in, in in Werewolf, you have the Thrall of the Worm, which is a very extreme form of frenzy, and only and, and if you hit level three, you're not gonna, you're usually not going to get out of it. And if they did something like that, similar with Changeling, uh, where certain tribes or kiss would be more prone to it, but anybody can fall to it. I think the trick isn't so much the system, it's threading the narrative, because what Bedlam is in in the story, in the world, is about having too much access to glamour, about languishing in the balefire, and cutting yourself off from humanity. And in their story, the way they presented it, the she have all gone through the normal changeling way now, at least the ones that didn't run back into the dreaming and disappear. So they're not weird, removed alien things anymore. The balefires are mostly going out. Access to the Dreaming is much more cut off. Not that I think they're not going to do it, but they're going to have to choose a different framing for it, because all the things that promoted Bedlam before are now severely reduced in the narrative world they've set up. I'm just going to be very curious to see how they present it. Because it's not going to be able to be the thing narratively that it was in the previous editions. That makes sense. Yeah, one of the, the creeping sort of vampire or, or werewolf tendencies that came was in looking at the difference between the second edition background of Dreamer versus the Alpha Slice version of Dreamer. Alpha Slice version of Dreamer is effectively heard. Every dot you have in that, that's as that's the amount of glamour you get to pull back. You effectively can come in at full glamour every game-ish, or every other game, or you can spend 15 minutes out of play and harvest the amount of dots you have in Dreamers as you do in Glamour. Whereas in 2nd Edition, I'm kind of curious how this changed over the years, at least in C20, Dreamers is you have access to X number of dreamers. It doesn't say you have access to X amount of glamour. And the, the glamour system in that was you have to spend time with them. You have to, like, it's this dwindling resource. Blood is ever flowing. You can always get it. Glamour is a little harder to come by, even harder, at least from in my interpretation of second ed, than Gnosis was. Yes, that's definitely true. I've been struggling with Dreamer a little bit in my tabletop campaign, and the reason I've been struggling with it is the narrative description of Dreamer is exactly what you just said. It's a number of Dreamers, and you have to spend time with them, and you have to cultivate them. The way interacting with a Dreamer works when you're harvesting glamour is you make a roll to inspire a person, to inspire the dreamer you're engaging with. And that role is, I think it's perception plus empathy. There are a couple alternative versions of it depending on how you're inspiring them. And this is for the inspiration version, not for ravaging. You know, then based on how well you read them, you know better what you need to do or say or how to prod their creativity. That defines how quickly they will produce whatever the creative act is. The great romance, the great work of art, you know, if you allow this in your game, some people use this, some don't. The, the act of, of creation within society, the community building, whatever it is that you've inspired them to do, how long it will take them to do this. 
The system is your level in Dreamers reduces the difficulty of that inspirational roll. The problem is the stat says it's the number of Dreamers you have, but that roll represents an interaction with one person. The system does not line up to the narrative with that background in C20. I'm going to be transitioning over to an alternate set of epiphanies that Simon wrote up and we put up on our blog recently. Because, yeah, Dreamers... Dreamers has a weird history, and it it gets into kind of the problem that Vampire has had of, well, how much of this story do we want to spend on just replenishing our power trait? Because you could run a whole chronicle of nothing but epiphanies if you really wanted to, but most players wouldn't want to run that. Well, and Changeling Tabletop has a completely different relationship to the using of Glamour than the LARP does. Like, from what I read in the Alpha Slice... There are just powers that use glamour. Where in tabletop, if you're only affecting chimerical reality, you don't actually need to have any glamour. That is very the blow. It does, yeah. Well, and LARP has the inverse as well. There are arts where if you have the right attribute um, focused, boom, you get extra health levels. It's not described as only when you're in Mien, you know, Oakenshield, which is its own standalone art, which is clearly supposed to take the place of fortitude <laughs> and sort of balancing these creatures against each other in a setting where you're going to have overlap. That's clearly what that design philosophy is. And some of the power levels are very similar. If you have stamina as your physical focus, boom, have some extra health levels. The implications of that in terms of, like, the affecting reality, affecting the dreaming glamour divide are really pretty jarring, because that would be a hugely powerful effect in tabletop, and they just give it to you in LARP. Well, and to that balancing of power, I mean, I have yet to play in a LARP where you run werewolves by sheet and vampires by sheet of their own respective books. Uh, In the Alpha Slice of werewolf i got to play up in kenosha they ran a by the sheet vampire against by the sheet werewolves and that was a interesting experience because that vampire has celerity off the bat you have to build to overcome their over uh over the rage track which i don't know if your listeners are aware with every round you start at one rage you move up the rage track you get stacking benefits like Extra action, extra damage, extra uh, regeneration. So when fighting a vampire, the vampire's at full effect round one. It puts you on the back foot, and you have to have your healers and your casters sort of distracting the vampire, keeping your, your Aru and your fighters in the fight long enough till they build to that rage six, rage seven, where they're able to overcome fortitude. And they're acting as many times as the vampire is and they're they're able to uh, regenerate that amount of damage that they're being dealt and it it was a really like oh oh my gosh we gotta hit the gas on our rage or we are going to get wiped out here and that's where your distraction gifts come into play where hey you want to attack me but i'm gonna also cast this gift that lets me move an extra step away from you so you're never quite able to catch up to me uh and it was just this Sort of like, come on, guys, we got we got to build up, we got to keep him in the fight, and we got to wear him through his blood. 
so that it's finally our turn. And then there was this great moment, and I think round three or four, where, because Werewolf's a very combat-heavy game, where we just felt the table turn. And we thought, okay, we have this elder, or luminary elder vampire. He's going down. Well, and in in that respect, speaking to that sort of balance, I feel like right now at the Alpha Slice, LARP changelings feel a little bit more like vampires than they do like werewolves. What powers they have, they get right off the bat. Glamour felt easy and free. Everyone I talked to was like, I've got so much glamour left and I've put so much in my quartz jar. What am I doing with my life? The glamour pools are big relative to the number of powers you use in a general LARP, as opposed to, like, I think I had like 14 glamour or something to work with based on my seeming, as opposed to in tabletop where it's like, I have five glamour. I'm so powerful. I've unleashed twice this game and I can't do anything for a month and a half. Thanks, guys. Like, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) it is just a different scale of availability right now. Yeah, and that kind of leads into a question I had from reading the Alpha Slice, and maybe this didn't come up so you guys don't know, but like, what happened to Calling on the Weird? Did that ever come up? They don't call it the weird anymore. It, it, it is. It's where you get uh, benefits to skills. Yeah, you get a, you get a benefit to a stat, um, and, you get a benef- and you get benefits to, I think, three different skills. It's a plus two. And then you get a attribute focus of your choice, depending on what your seeming is. It's depending on your kiff. You get... Right, yeah. sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's still there. I They call it parting the mists now. The thing yeah. that really surprised me in the playtest is the entire playtest took place in a freehold. Like, we couldn't even leave. And so at one point, someone asked, hey, are we are we in Mien? Do we have our full benefits? And they're like, it's a freehold. You can be in Mien if you want. And I was like, wow. And so even when they brought in the... um the sort of autumn banality-touched changeling, we were all just, like, sitting on those bonuses the entire game. And I figure in a LARP, a lot of those games are going to take place in freeholds. That seems a little weird. Because normally it is something you have to pay for. Yeah. I think it's a little cheap right now. It costs a glamour, and boom, you have it. Calling on the weird and tabletop is really expensive. I I suspect it's they'll probably amazing. make it... It is. It's amazing. It's ridiculous. Re- Ridiculous in tabletop. I mean, ridiculous. It's it's pretty powerful in the LARP system. But I suspect they might make it a little more expensive in future slices. Come away, servant. Come. I am ready now. Approach my Ariel. Come. All hail, great master, grave Sir Hale. I come to answer thy best pleasure, be it to fly, to swim, to dive into the fire, to ride on the curled clouds to thy strong bidding task, Ariel and all his quality. Hast thou, spirit, performed to point the tempest that I bade thee? To every article I boarded the king's ship, Now on the beak, now in the waist, the deck, in every cabin, I flamed amazement. 
Sometimes I'll divide and burn in many places. On the topmast, the yards, and bowsprit would I flame distinctly, then meet and join Jove's lightnings, the precursors, oh, the dreadful thunderclaps. More momentary and sight outrunning were not. The fire and cracks of sulfurous roaring, the most mighty Neptune seemed to besiege and make his bold waves tremble. Yea, his dread trident shake. My brave spirit, who was so firm, so constant, that this coil would not infect his reason. Not a soul but felt a fever of the mad and played some tricks of desperation. All but mariners plunged in the foaming brine and quit the vessel. Then, all afire with me, the king's son Ferdinand, with hair upstaring, then, like reeds, not hair, was the first man that leapt, cried, Hell is empty, and all the devils are here. We've talked a little bit about, you know, how the game feels relative to the other BNS games. I'm curious about your take on how this alpha slice feels relative to the previous alpha slices you've read and interacted with. I heard a few people talking about that, and I'm I'm curious what you both thought about that comparison. Werewolf alpha slice was pretty fast and loose. You could actually play a six-point merit and play an abomination. Um, so it, it was there a lot of... Powers didn't really need Gnosis cost, and it was a lot easier to kind of stack your sheet to do exactly what you want to do without doing the gift pyramid that everyone kind of jokingly called it by the end. And and like I said earlier, I have not, I, I did not get the chance to play the Alpha Slice for Vampire, and I did not jump in the BNS scene until Beta Slice World. But as far as the earlier slices of Werewolf go, because the Changeling does have the earlier slices to base off of, it can read easier, especially for those who are already familiar with the BNS system. It's much more welcoming to people who are jumping into a new genre that they know nothing about. Yeah, and I will say I talked with a few people at the game who had never played Changeling before. They knew nothing about Changeling. And they all said they had a lot of fun, which I was really happy to hear. I know I've talked to a lot of people that did not think kindly of the old Shining host Changeling LARP rules. Hearing so much positive feedback from this playtest made me really happy. The other people I had talked to said that this Alpha Slice felt tighter than the previous BNS Alpha Slices they'd seen. And I didn't get into Werewolf until... I think the one playtest of Werewolf I went to was actually the Gamma Slice, so it was pretty close to a finished product. Even by comparison to that, thinking this is an Alpha Slice, that was almost the finished book. I feel like it's pretty tight. I mean, there were some rough edges, like the, okay, this the she shouldn't feel like Toreador, you know, and there were there's a weird decision gambit with the red cap deiform when you go into Mien, it basically assures that all red caps will purchase the same 
social focus because any other social focus does not it it's a systematic throwaway and they shouldn't create gambits like that so there are a couple little things like that that need to be found and refined I do think a lot of I do think a lot of the kith merits are a little overpowered like if you, yeah. if you don't if you don't if, <laughs> if you don't spend your merit points getting your kith merits like you're you're not you're going to be at a disadvantage I mean, there's a, there's a two point she merit that gives you ten points in backgrounds, and that's just sick. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I love, I love that merit, because that merit just screams out, hey, the sheer, a metaphor for privilege, maybe you hadn't heard. Uh, <laughs> but on the other hand, I don't totally disagree with you. I think the only thing that balances that out is the other kiths have similarly just ridiculous merits. The the red cap dark hunger merit. I've only done a little bit of LARP and I read it and I went, oh that's cool. And then I you know went along my merry way and I went ahead and purchased it. And at the end of the game, I was like, so what do these like weapon traits that this merit gives my bite? What does this actually mean? And someone explained it to me, and I was like, that's just dumb. Like I can what? <laughs> um. And I went through all of the kits have merits like that. They're ridiculous. Ha- having all these overpowered kith merits really gives a player no reason to get any general merits. Yeah, well, and the fact that you're limited to seven points of merits over the life of your character, which is a BNS design mold, taking what used to be the birthrights... Because by and large, the Kith merits are their birthrights. They're a little bit of variance. I think each Kith has one Kith merit that goes beyond the old tabletop birthrights. The She one about you have a million one background points is their merit to that effect. The Red Caps have a one pointer that's not one of their old birthrights, but by and large, they're the birthright merits. You're kind of left like, well, do I want to play a character that feels like my Kith? I mean, I. I think they made the merits because they wanted to open up, like, regional variants and give people more flexibility and not feel like, oh, you have to be these things. But at the same time, if you can only take seven merits over the life of your character and you're going to start out with a minimum of three or four because otherwise you're just wasting your life, that's that's pretty restrictive. I've always kind of had a problem with the seven limit on both merits and flaws because everyone, most people max out when they come into play, which reduces the ability of the storyteller and the player to change and evolve over time. Now you can lose merits, you can lose flaws and, and gain new ones along the way. But if you're maxed out in a networked organization for example, Camry member picks up the Book of Nod. Actually, there is a merit uh, or a flaw in the Camarilla that basically states you have heretical texts. If you're maxed out at seven, I can't give that to you. So why is the ST should I allow you to have that? It would be kind of nice to see BNS amend that hard seven. Like you can come in with seven but it is entirely possible to, over the course of roleplay, gain more. I see, and generally I agree with that. I think where you get into trouble, 
and not to get too far off the changeling path, is they used that seven-point hard block to fix some other problematic things, like having thaumaturgy paths beyond your first one requires merit points, which at first pass is like, oh, that's dumb. And then you go, oh, but in an org game, you may end up with a three, four, five, eight hundred experience character. Thaumaturgy is kind of an advantage early on at normal PC level. But when you have that kind of experience to work with, the I can just purchase powers, not just at in-clan cost, but possibly less than in-clan cost forever, that rapidly scales to game-breaking. And they used that seven-point cap to control some of those things. And so once you've used it to control some of those things, and, like, there's nothing like that in Changeling that needs that kind of control, but then, like, how do you balance out, oh, I'm using it for this really critical thing over here, there isn't a similar critical thing over here. I mean, I think I think they painted themselves into a bit of a gambit there, and I I don't know what the best way out of that gambit is. I think a good start would be making the kit's birthrights merits um, a little less powerful. I would agree with that. I also sort of wish, with the birthrights, instead of making them all cost merit points, you're allowed to take so many points worth of birthright. And that's just part of your kit. That's just part of your game balance. That's like that's werewolves a being really able... Idea. Yeah, that's like werewolves being able to shapeshift... No, Go. pick one. Pick one, or, you know, if they make them a little less powerful, pick two. The other thing that does is it gets rid of some of the need to make the rare Kith Merits even more powerful. I think that's part of why that one She Merit is so ridiculous, is because you spend two Merit points just for the privilege of being a She. And what they have, at least in the Alpha Slice, they don't have the system for regional Kiths yet, but in their whole economy of cool, being a regional kith is four merit points. Just getting to be the cool, unique snowflake is four out of seven merit points. At which point, how powerful do the kith merits for some of the regionals, if they do that, need to be to give them a prayer of competing on power level? I think if they make just like the birthrights more of a selectable pool that everybody's going to get a certain amount of, and it doesn't interfere with that seven-point merit max. I think I think that fixes a lot of problems, actually. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. The, the interesting thing about that, though, is Changeling has always had a couple of innate powers, at least in the tabletop versions, that completely throw a game that are just kind of there. I've had games completely destroyed by the red cap grapple and eat part of a human being power. Because it is... It gives you a lot of dice as a starting player for your attack. And the Slua, I just talk to dead people thing, if you didn't notice it was there, it kind of throws the game if you didn't plan for it. I, th- I think I think maybe Binite Studios is just kind of falling into the same old changeling trap on that one. Yeah, and, and I can say having witnessed that Dark Appetite thing up close and personal in LARP, it's not quite as game-breaking as the tabletop version, but it's pretty game-breaking. It's one thing when four, when three or four players like look at you and go, hey, you're my target. When all of them have dark appetite, which is what happened to that poor she at the end of the game, 
he just ceased to be in like a round and a half. It was it was ridiculous. Yeah, if that's anything like the tabletop version, four of those is not not you can't cope with that. <laughs> he he could not cope with that. There was no coping with the red caps deciding the game's almost over and I haven't had anything to eat and you're annoying. True to form then. So I, I do have a, a minor concern with org having run an org game for a year. The fact that they split Sabat off from Cam and Anarch. And judging from some stuff I've, I've heard and talked to people about, they m- might split Farah off from the rest of Werewolf. You could stand to have the Shadow Court or the Seelie and the Unseelie Courts all split from each other into different venues that can never interact, and those PC characters can't mess with each other, form bonds with each other, or compete with each other. It, it just kind of undermines to me what Changeling is, that it's not this cam sabot kind of thing, having not played too much of Changeling, but it, it reads more of a I'm bipartisan kind of like, I have this totally different way of doing things. You have this different way of doing things. But in the end, we can kind of work together because the world is cold and dark and the endless winter is coming. Yeah, I mean, so just speaking to what the devs said in the interview we did with them a couple months ago, I don't think that's the direction they're going. I could see them maybe pulling the Shadow Court off into their own thing. I don't think they'll separate the Seelie and Unseelie. The way they talked about them was very much in a model where the Seelie and Unseelie were still working together most of the time. And in, you know, Dreaming, the Seelie and Unseelie work together-ish most of the time. Barring some of the really extreme Unseelie groups like House Balor. Oh, House Valor. <laughs> I, I definitely agree with that sentiment. However, I don't believe that the devs had that intention of it happening. But I, I could see Seely and Unseely Chronicles happening, much like there are, like, even though the Cam IA is a conjoined setting, there are Cam cities and there are Anarch cities. And you're not really going to find a Seely court member in an Unseely city or vice versa. In, I, I'm, I'm judging on the reactions of the players rather than the devs, rather than the devs here. Seems like is missing from the LARP setting that is present in the tabletop setting is the Galane, because there are usually the group that you either you're doing a Galane game or you're doing a Kithane game. You're almost never doing both. Yeah, and you know, speaking to the Pharah being broken off. The Pharah breaking off makes sense in terms of the werewolf story, and the Galane are much closer to a Pharah equivalent than the Quartz. I think the other problem and the reason the players might be thinking in terms of Seelie versus Unseelie is they've changed what the Quartz are in BNS to try and simplify them. In the tabletop... Every normal changeling is ultimately both courts. It's just a matter of which court is active. Like, they're a cosmological reflection of aspects of fey nature. And 
the Shi are notorious for claiming they're one court or the other all the time, and it's a dirty lie, and they, they dip into their other nature. And some of the Kiths are very well known for just flipping on a dime. Satyrs are especially known for flipping court on a dime, because why not? Which court am I today? Who even knows? And they've done away with that in BNS, and I think I know they don't want to bring in all of that weird complexity again because of barriers to entry. The courts are a hot, stinking mess in tabletop, and it's great if you like really complicated kind of abstract story, but it is it makes there are accessibility issues with it. And so I understand why they really don't want that in a LARP setting, but getting rid of it, I think, opens the door to some of what you're talking about when that's really not what Changeling is about. Right. Uh, the the other point I want to bring up, if and actually it's been a result of listening to your podcast, I'm going to fanboy gush for a moment, but the lack of diversity in Changeling and BNS vamp and werewolf powers, like, I can point, Lisa and I can both point to powers in the book big. That's that Fianna gift. That's a Ratkin gift. That's a Shadow Lord Merit kind of thing. As of right now, when I read through the books to make my character, for example, the Fey art or the Fey realm, there is no reason not to take that. You spend a point of glamour, you are automatically considered to have the focus for your power. And there's also ways to daisy chain it that I can run you up to three um, derangement traits in two turns. The realms are something where they talked about the fact that they wanted the realms to kind of be the thing that changelings got that was the equivalent of the, like, battle toughness of werewolves or, you know, some of the immediate power of vampires. And so I think... I have a feeling the realms are going to change over time because the flip side is the red caps had the condition realm. And honestly, it didn't apply to a lot of their arts. Like I looked at that realm and I went, I am never going to use this. I'm not going to condition my wayfare. Like I'm getting more actions. What kind of condition or trigger am I going to put on that? I'm using it right now. Kind of the same with primal dread had some condition potential, but Dread was also this weird random social thing, by and large, and Red Caps, ironically, I don't think were as drawn to using that as Primal and Wayfair. So I definitely think there's some balancing stuff that needs to be worked out with the realms. Although there is some balancing stuff that needs to be worked out with the realms, I do like how they have made it much more simple for a newcomer to the BNS system to understand the old world of darkness with the cantrips and the realms was a little overcomplicated. It, well, at least to someone who didn't play it very often. And I, and I do like how they tried to make it easier to understand in the alpha slice. I love the arts and the realms, but, you know, to be totally honest, I didn't use them properly for the first, like, five years I played Changeling. The first game Simon ran for me was the first time that I looked at the arts and the realms and I saw them used in the game and it clicked. And I went, oh, I see how these interact now. This suddenly makes sense. And that is a really high bar for a LARP. Again, a tabletop, you've got some personal one-on-one ST access that you don't necessarily have in a LARP. So I do understand that change. 
or the pro side of having these powers be so pinpointable to other comparable powers in the other two genres is the idea of Changeling being the soft genre. The idea of the mist coming in and fogging your memory. Maybe there's a Black Spiral Dancer Hive and a Werewolf Bond, and in between there's this weird pack of something in between the two that's not really part of either. Both sides you know, aren't sure what to do with it, and in reality, it's a motley of red caps. And when both parties encounter it, they the red caps retaliate and, and start eating the werewolves or eating the black spiral dancers, and then when the mists come back in to sort of block out the mean and the gifts or the arts that were used, the werewolves go, Oh no no no, that was a bunch that was a bunch of weird red talons. Because they use this, 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 and this. So theoretically, if they if that's what they're going for, then having the powers be copy-pasted out of the other books could lend credence to when the mists come back, this is what you think. Maybe a interaction between a Giovanni and a Slua in a graveyard. And they have to go deal with something, and then the mists come back, and the Giovanni's just like, oh, that was... Maybe an Osferatu or a really dirty Mulcavian I was dealing with. That could be beneficial to the overall theme. It could be, but honestly, one, the developers were very cagey about the mists when we interviewed them a couple months ago, because we did ask about how are you going to deal with the mists? They were kind of a barrier that made crossover complicated, and they gave a very cryptic answer. It's clear they weren't quite ready to share details there. So I at the very least, I don't think the mists are going to look exactly like they looked previously, or else they wouldn't have needed to be cagey. But I I also feel like in the vast majority of games, in the LARPs that I've been in, the primary interaction is still vampire to vampire, werewolf to werewolf. And in Changeling, it's still going to be primarily Changeling to Changeling. And I think most players are going to want to have a pretty unique feel to their powers. You know, when I played Werewolf, it did not feel like playing Vampire. It, it did not feel like playing Vampire at all. And, I mean, the general system, like, it was recognizable, kind of like the D10 system is recognizable, but it felt like a different Supernatural. Certain things about Changeling felt like playing Vampire. Not so much... It didn't so much feel like playing Werewolf. And I... I can definitely see the point about wanting to have a lower barrier to entry and not wanting to have all these really complicated arts and that a lot of the people that come in are going to come in knowing nothing about Changeling. And I think that's true. But what I think is likely to happen is people are going to come in, LARP Changeling, like it, and then go learn about Tabletop Changeling, dive into it and be like, oh my god, I can do all of these things, why can't I do this in LARP? Gateway drug. Hey, going back for a moment on Sam's theory of the myths, I actually don't think that that would be a bad idea as a troop game or a local game. Because right now there isn't a huge rule section on the myths. And if the storyteller wants to run it, like, oh, well you see vampires using Sovereign. That's what the Changelings would assume that it was. 
like, oh, well, there's just some morally using sovereign. I don't understand it. That's very much a single session kind of thing that isn't necessarily disallowed by the BNS rules, at least not right now. And I don't think it would ever work for a org game, but the fact that a storyteller can step in and say, no, this is how I want my game to run, gives a lot of freedom. I think that that narrative idea, like that idea in a story isn't a bad one. I was more just like, as a design decision from the dev standpoint, the, well, we're going to make these powers very similar because of the mists. I don't, I don't know that that's necessarily a huge advantage because the mists are such a massive rewrite. At least they have been previously. Again, they might be different that. I don't think that's enough of a benefit for changeling players ending up feeling like they're getting copies of the previous games. Because what you end up with there is, you know, when I read through the Vampire Disciplines, they mapped pretty closely to the disciplines from Tabletop. They got to feel like, I this is the vampire I knew playing Tabletop. When I read through Werewolf, even though I haven't played as much Werewolf Tabletop, I got to be like, this feels like what I've played of Werewolf from Tabletop. Changeling needs to get that feeling. There's, there still does need to be that experience. Because then it's like, oh, I get to feel like the game that happened to get developed first. That's a problem. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just trying to give it the benefit of the doubt. Uh, honestly, Alpha Slice, part of the reason I think it felt so tight was that it felt like a lot of shorthand that experienced BNS players could quick flip through, knew what they were getting, Build a character and roll in. Uh, yeah, I felt that way. I yeah, and I I do feel that way about it being the alpha slice. Like I'm not, I'm not particularly worried about the fact that the powers feel a lot like vampire right now, because it's their first attempt, and it's the game that systematically doesn't have a previous LARP version that worked terribly well. You know, socially, Changeling is a great LARP game, but the old LARP systems were pretty rough. And so I'm not that worried. It's an alpha slice. They're going to iterate on it. It's just, it's definitely the thing that I'm looking to in future slices to see how it evolves. And I, I think it is going to need to evolve. And it certainly will. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking forward to running that playtest and tracking what the changes and seeing how my close group of playtesters kind of extrapolate and evolve after. Uh, off of that, and use and abuse the powers. And I, I plan to write back to the devs as much as possible about how uh, this is what we've noticed, and this is some concerns we have, or, hey, this worked great, like, keep this, don't change a thing. And I think their core design starting point of the way they've designed the realms, in as always being value-added, well, I think the way some of the realms work is, are going to get tweaked and adjusted and balanced. That's to be expected. I like the core design they have. And it's also going to be interesting to see when they pull in more arts. Because just like it's not the full array of Kith right now, this is definitely not going to be the full array of arts. So I think that'll also change some of the choices and dynamics in the way the powers interact with each other. Fear no more the heat of the sun, 
nor the furious winter's rages, thou thy worldly task hast done. Home art gone, and taken thy wages. Golden lads and girls all must, as chimney sweepers come to dust. Fear no more the frown of the great. Thou art past the tyrant's stroke. Care no more to clothe and eat. To thee the reed is as the oak. The scepter learning physic must all follow this and come to dust. Fear no more the lightning flash nor the all-dreaded thunderstone. Fear not slander, censure rash. Thou hast finished joy and moan. All lovers young, all lovers must consign to thee and come to dust. No exerciser harm thee, nor no witchcraft charm thee. Ghost unlaid forbear thee, nothing ill come near thee. Quiet consummation have, and all renowned be thy grave. Well, I'd like to really thank Lisa and Sam for coming and talking through this. They have a lot more perspective on the BNS systems than I have or Simon has. And it was nice to hear a little bit more about what was happening over on the Sealy side of the house at the Midwinter Changeling LARP. We're definitely going to be having more LARP episodes. I'm hoping to get in on their playtest and there will be more slices to to cut through so thank you both very much for coming on the podcast we really appreciate it thanks for having us yeah our pleasure thank you you are certainly welcome at our playtest and you too simon when you can make it down (laughs) awesome i need to make up for missing midwinter (laughs) yes yes you do the weather and the roads need to make it up to you for you missing midwinter (laughs) i'm just saying (laughs) no no the winter court just had something they wanted me to do Yeah, apparently. Well, anyway, thank you everyone for listening, and I hope you come back for our next conversation and for a few episodes down the line when we do our next LARP episode. Thank you very much, and this has been Walking Away from Arcadia. Readings from this conversation were from The Tempest and Cymbeline by William Shakespeare. The music from this episode was LSD by Montplaisir and A Month of Dust by Shima Wound.